Hey, folks at home, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, that's posted online later in the afternoon on YouTube, but um, all of those sermons are online. We, we began, of course, with the holy discontent as Nehemiah heard this news of Jerusalem, that the walls had been burned down, that the gates are destroyed and they are not been rebuilt, this disgraceful state of the home of his God, uh, the city of Jerusalem, of Zion. Then last week we looked as hope began building, as Nehemiah was finally given an opportunity um, through the Lord's hand to change the mind of the emperor of the known world. And today we look at the pre-building inspection. Nehemiah, um, after a few, we fast forward because it took a few months to get down there, but he, fast, he gets down to Jerusalem and he does an inspection of the city. He rallies God's people all the while trusting that the Lord's hand is with him and with the people of God. And so that's what we're looking at today. I encourage you in, in the strongest of possible terms, open a Bible. Whether that is digitally, whether it is um, um, things that are, it's an old-fashioned Bible like this one, whatever it may be, I encourage you to open. This is God's Word. It is transformative in your life. And so we listen to God's Word today. Um, as we enter into this time, let us go to Him in prayer. Thank you, our Father in Heaven, that you are the God whose promises never fail. Thank you for showing us in your word that you direct human history from beginning to end for your redemptive purposes. Every nation, every individual life is in your sovereign hand. We acknowledge before you that we are sinful and stiff-necked just like your people in the Old Testament. We repent of our sin and thank you for your mercy in sending your son who took on himself the punishment for that sin so that we, your people, can live forgiven by faith in him. As we study your word, Please help us to see you more clearly and to follow you with growing faith and prayerful obedience. Give us the courage to amend our lives and to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed in the places we live, work, and play. For his glory alone, and in the name of Jesus, and his grace we pray. Amen. Again, this is Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to skip a couple verses um, and start with, with verse 11. Uh, don't worry, there's plenty. You'll get to hear it all, all right? Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by, by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words of, that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands 
for the good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, and the servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Um, I just have a few points for you. I didn't make fancy graphics. I hope that you will survive. Um, but the first point that I want us to look at is the careful planning that Nehemiah takes with this task. It is an important task. It is something that is crucial that the Lord has laid on his heart. And so we see that he is very, very careful in planning. One of the churches that I had the privilege at serving at was in Florida. It was about 650 people on, in, in attendance. Um, and we had four worship services. And the senior pastor there made me change outfits between each worship service. And so at the 8 a.m. service, I had to wear robes. Have you guys seen robes before? I had to wear robes. At the 9 o'clock service, I had to look hip. At the, <laughs> I think I failed. At the, uh, at the 10.30, I looked, uh, it was like a mix between, so I had to change clothes again, and um, it was more like this, like a mixed body. And then uh, in the evening, it was a young adult service, and so I just wore whatever I happened to have on. So um, I am not overburdened here, friends. Thank you so much that we have one worship service and that you all are very supportive. But the, uh, oh, I, I say that because the senior pastor there was not a planner. In fact, one of the worst things that I saw him do was to the AV team uh, was the Christmas Eve service. Again, it was 600, 700 people. Uh, he finished his manuscript five minutes before the first Christmas Eve service began, and he handed the, um, the manuscript to the AV team and a PowerPoint and said, get this loaded in the next five minutes. Um, so, so guys, sorry about the movie I sent yesterday, but you're doing good, okay? We're doing good. The other thing, another thing it reminded me of was uh, he, there was this farewell speech that he had to prepare for, uh, I'm not going to name this guy, by the way, and he's no longer in that denomination, he's disgraced. Okay, but uh, he, uh, <laughs> that was too hard, he, he showed up for the youth director's farewell speech, and he had been washing his boat all afternoon, he showed up a half an hour late for the farewell, and in his speech he talked mostly about how he had been cleaning his boat earlier in the day. He was a man that did not do a lot of careful planning. In fact, he got on to me and the other associate pastors for planning so much because he said, listen, you're planning too much. You're not allowing the spirit to move in the moment. Have you heard that before? Faith and planning, friends, are not contradictory to one another. Verse 12, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. God had in a, in a very miraculous way, some in which many of us might never experience in our own lifetime, the God of the universe had put on his heart that this is the thing you are supposed to do. But that did not prevent Nehemiah, a gifted administrator called by God, from careful, careful planning. As we read the scriptures, we see he, he begins in secrecy. He told no one. The officials did not, in verse 16, know what he was doing. And when he arrives at the, at the place, he goes out at night so that nobody knows what's going on. Um, Nehemiah does not sure who he can trust, right? He needs to be very careful in what he is doing. He doesn't know who is going to be for him, who is going to be against him, uh, how this is all going to play out. 
and he wants to come to the people of God after seeing everything, laying eyes on it himself, and coming up with a cogent plan guided by the Lord um, so that he shows that he knows what he's talking about. And you remember, of course, that Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He was born in exile. And so he does diligent work to do this. This is a great passage, by the way, for the seemingly ever-increasing Christian traditions in the United States, at least, that take a hard line against anything other than blind faith. For some Christians, when, when they, like Nehemiah, feel like something has been put on their heart, whether it is the initial faith in their life or some other movement in this life, this means that they should not cognitively question the nature of that experience or the way that experience is expressed. And we see this everywhere, but not with Presbyterians, friends. Presbyterians disagree. We affirm that God created us and that God, as a part of that, has created our minds. We believe that Christians have the right and the obligation to use their minds in the search of spiritual truth and meaning. From John Calvin forward, many of the greatest Christian thinkers have been Presbyterian or part of the Reformed tradition. Listen, I'm not saying Baptists are dumb, but the ones that are smart have really big Reformed influence in them. I'll tell you that. John MacArthur, I think of. Um, Spurgeon, I think of. We cite scriptures such as, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? With all your mind. Oh, someone do this. I hear you. John Witherspoon is credited with bringing the tenets of the Scottish Reformed educational tradition. Those are my people that I claim, the Scot. They brought that to Princeton and from there to the rest of the country. Central to those values were the importance of the encounter between faith and knowledge. The creation of a college as a moral community, a belief in a Christian sense of vocation and the preparation for students for service to the wider world. And these precepts inform the many institutions that were begun by Presbyterians and patterned after Princeton. I was looking around and I saw this uh, little unknown college called Agnes Scott College. But Agnes Scott was established in the Reformed tradition with a new mission to educate women. By the way, I won't be sending my kids the, the tuitions $57,000 a year. So. We are people um, and a faith tradition, friends, that has been uniquely formed and cultivated under the providence of God to reach the Pacific Northwest, to reach the Microsoft engineers, to reach the Amazonians, to reach the myriad of intellectuals across this region that are, that are drawn to here from across the globe. I've only been part of this community for about two years, and I've been living in my home for most of it, but my understanding is that this church has a history of being tied to the many engineers of a little place called Boeing. Whether you are stepping out in faith for the first time, deciding that you will finally take those steps to meet your neighbors, to engage with your family, count the cost, Prepare and embrace the mind that God is giving you and carefully assess and plan before moving forward. The next thing that Nehemiah does is rally the people of God. Nehemiah did not play like a visiting official that's from the king and here I am and you are all going to do what I tell you to do because God has called me and I am your leader. Instead, he completely identifies with the Jews as one of them. 
It's something called incarnational ministry, which we'll look at another day. But he says, the trouble that we are in, let us build that we may no longer suffer derision. If you read through there, and one of the commentaries I don't recommend spends about literally eight pages explaining where each of those gates are and the debates between whether those gates were, were where they were supposed to be. But I think with another commentator, I agree, the reason that these gates are all named is because they are precious. These are the names that the people would recognize in their minds. So if I say um, the NPR or the missions room, or the sanctuary, that these are things that would be drawing the people to remember this holy and sacred place, and it would bind them together as a community. And the motivator that, that Nehemiah ends up using is this word disgrace or derision. He says basically, like, this is going to be the primary motivator, not that you are insecure and we got to build a wall, not that our gates are burned down and that, that is unacceptable for a functioning city. He says, we are a disgrace. With all their talk of being the people of God and the invincibility of Jerusalem, the Israelites had spent the past century and a half in servitude to foreign empires, which had subjected them and brought their existence and sense of identity to the brink of extinction. Ultimately, what Nehemiah is doing is that he is reminding the people of who they are because they have forgotten. Because we are a forgetful people in the Old Testament and today. We forget who we are. The disgrace that they suffer, the derision from the surrounding peoples is because the people of God have forgotten who they are. Listen, in my 839th viewing of Moana, I finally paid enough attention to realize that that movie is all about identity. I mentioned it in another, in another sermon before. I think God was prepping you for more Moana. But um, for people, the people on the island have forgotten who they are. They are cloistered. They are afraid. And they are hanging out in that island hoping nothing bad ever finds them. They have forgotten that they were voyagers. Maui, that guy with the hook, you know, he has forgotten who he is and thinks that if I only have my magic hook, then I will regain my identity. And then Tafiti, I'm sorry for saying the names wrong, Tafiti is, is the whole driving force of the whole movie, has forgotten who she is so much that she has been transformed into this fire demon called Taka until Moana reminds them and herself of who they are. We're going to watch a little video clip just, just to inform you of what I'm talking about. Let her come to me.
truly are. Chicken lives. <laughs> to keep the chicken in there. <sighs> Do you know who you are? Do you know that before the stars first shone, that the God of the universe knew your name? That it was written upon the palms of his hands. We've had our, friends, we've had our hearts broken and crushed so many times in this world. We have fallen short as God's people over and over and over again. We are sinful and stiff-necked people today, just like the people in the Old Testament. This is not who you are. You know who you are. Hear it today because we forget it so easily in the trials and the temptations of this life and the anxieties of this world. You are the people of God. He has taken your heart of stone and he has given you a heart of flesh. He is with us now in this moment. He is with you wherever you go and especially as you seek to build the kingdom of God in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of your neighbors, and in the life of this church here at New Hope. Let me read you a passage from Colossians 3, 1 through 17 and listen, listen to it. I'm not going to pull it out for you because I want you to just listen. It's, it's a little long. I think, it's, I think God's word is worth it. Here we go. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, but you were living in them. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk 
from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and then put on the new self. And stop there. How many of you, <laughs> I was doing it as I read it, where as I listed those things, checking off, nope, I don't have mouth. Did you hear me wince at the, uh, what was the one that I winced at? Do you guys remember? I winced at the one about um, obscene talk. <laughs> I've, I grew up in a sailing household. But as I was listing those things, how many of you, I was, you saw the, the green check marks or the failure marks. And the reason that we do that is because that's the default way that our heart operates. It's the default mode of the human heart which has fallen and broken. It is a mode that, oper that tends to snap us into moralism and focusing on that huge less list of all the things we need to do, but that as much as we would like it to be, it's not about what we do. It is about who you are. The very beginning of that, just to remind us, is if you have been raised with Christ, then all of these other things. It is a reminder of who you are as sons and daughters of God. It is not a moral renovation in order to be raised with Christ. It is because we, having been born again, being raised to the new life in Christ, that we are no longer what we once were. Humans, because we are made from the earth, respond very well to Pavlovian um, exercises. Snap yourself with a rubber band or guilt or whatever it may be to force you to do the things that you are supposed to do, and it will work. But friends, that cannot be the wellspring of your life. Christians this last year, particularly in the United States, in many ways have become a laughingstock. We as a people suffer disgrace and derision, but we are the people of God. Remember who you are. Now is the time to rise up and build anew. We do this like Nehemiah and the people of the Old Testament, not on our own but only as our sovereign God directs human history from beginning to end for His redemptive purposes. We do this trusting in God's sovereignty. We know that these plans are not merely Nehemiah's plans. He's not just a merely a great gifted administrator. It's not just the plans of the people of God. It was God who had put it into Nehemiah's heart that this was the thing that he would do. I know I depressed a lot of you when we started this series and we began with an honest assessment about the state of Christianity in the United States, but listen to just some of the ways that God has already been at work ahead of us before this series even began, readying us for this moment. We have a little thing over there that is a preschool called Montessori Hearts. I was talking to them the other day and they have almost... They are on the verge of taking over the entire base floor. Not the basement. I didn't put them in the basement. The entire earth-level floor of the education wing. 
The only thing preventing them from going further is that they are lacking qualified teachers. Completely booked and filled out. I'm meeting with the director next week. Please be in prayer for me to talk about how we might partner together to provide an after-school program for the surrounding community. Last Sunday, and I hope you aren't here, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but someone came down. She said that she had visited four or five other churches in the area and not found one single young adult ministry that was just begun because God brought Reuben to us. And she said, this is the first place. And I said, go talk to Reuben, not me. I'm old. <laughs> Two Sundays ago, someone came forward from prayer, and I hate to say it, but I was surprised. It's rare, friends, that people come forward to pray, especially a visitor. And she prayed with me. There weren't any deacons around. It's not shame, but deacons, please be here afterwards. As we prayed together for her family, that God had worked in the moment of the Sunday worship and said, I need to work on myself and my relationship with my husband and my daughter. That is God at work. Pastor Tommy, if you need to see God at work, friends, just look. A man hasn't been on a sabbatical or a break or a rest since he got here. He's burned out. And the Lord spoke and said, now, even though it is a pandemic, is the time. And he listened. And today is the day in God's providence that he leaves and heads out on his, his voyage and be watching. I'm interested to see how it works out on the road. He's a very funny guy. But his first stop is down. I love it. It's down in Colorado because we're so up here. Down in Colorado for a week or so intensive counseling. Friends, if you want to do something hard, go dig up the stones in your life and in the Christian context, admit publicly as a senior pastor that you are going to address the things in your mental health and the things in your soul and your spirit and you are getting professional help to help you with it. Find the courage to do that. That is God at work, friends. If you've been praying your little bookmark, I know it's cheesy, it's hokey. But church people love that sort of thing. But if you've been praying it, and again, this is not guilt. This is not, hey, this is one more thing you need to do. But if you have been praying persistently without losing heart, then God is already at work. I know He is. Tell me the stories so I can share it with us as the people of God. In verse 18, we see the people's response. And they said, let us rise up and build. Friends, Aslan is on the move. Nehemiah, through careful planning, rallies the people of God by reminding them of who they are. And I pray to Jesus that today that we were reminded of who we are as well. They put their trust in God with all of their heart, soul, and mind their whole being in this sovereign God. Let us do the same in the places we live, work, and play. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you, God. Thank you for this day, for this worship, for your word, for our lives.
Transform us by it. Let it not return to you void. Answer the promise that you have made in Scripture that we will be your people and that you will be our God. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen.